Hi guys, you're listening to a new episode of The New Unfiltered. So a few weeks ago, I was asked to do a talk that was actually supposed to be in January and it ended up being in February rescheduled, which actually worked out quite well with an awesome group in Austin called the Austin Young Women's Alliance. Now I get asked so often about from people all the time in in the terms of how do you start summits and how do you create these kind of companies? And now that I am so deep in the industry almost of seeing some of these events and how they're made and the difference between the ones that I like and then sometimes the ones that I don't like, what I really have noticed, if you're actually looking to potentially pursue something similar to this trajectory of hosting summits, even though I'm getting out of them or even starting some type of group or organization that brings people together, the critical part of having these successful events is really creating some type of environment where networking and talking is encouraged because of social media and especially because of COVID. I think so many people have become so isolated and so scared to have conversations and meet new people because we just haven't been doing that for a year. So as things now progress back into being normal, I was really excited to present a talk with this association and alliance in Austin. And I met so, so many incredible people. And there was one girl in the front row who uh, every time I would ask a question, her hand went up and she was just amazing. And afterwards came up to me and I just equally felt so inspired by her for after I heard her story, but also it just reminded me how important it is to share your thoughts and to raise your hand. And I think a lot of people don't do that because they're scared of what someone will think. Um, And Naja is the absolute opposite of that. She is Miss Central Texas International, and she will be competing at the state competition and her story and background. She was in the army and now she really focuses also on uh, diversity and mentorship. And she is so young and I'm just super excited to, to have her on and, and, listen to more of her story and let her story inspire all of you guys to take anything that happens in your life and make it into a positive. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. That was, that was amazing introduction. Oh my gosh. Well, and I know we, we hung out yesterday and afterwards I was really great when we had met because I was excited to, like I said, you know, learn more about you, but kind of let you know if there was anything that I could do to help you in your endeavors. And so I know that I just said a little bit of your bio, but I would love to hear your story right from you. Yeah, so I I loved your introduction. Um, you got most of the big points. I graduated high school in 2017 and went directly into the military. I had a lot of amazing accomplishments while in the military, and I also had a lot of troubles. Um, I know one of the biggest things I dealt with in the military was a high-profile sexual assault case dealing with my drill sergeant. And it it was really hard and it really um, it really affected me really hard. But I was telling you yesterday, a small world, one of the biggest mentors I had and, and someone who really inspired and helped me a lot was um, Allie Curtis. And she she really helped me through that hard time and inspired me to get into pageantry. So as soon as I got out and I moved back to Austin, I immediately jumped head first, first into pageantry and really building my platform voice for the voiceless from there. So cool. And right now, when you are still pursuing the pageants, I know I asked you yesterday, but it kind of seemed like you're looking almost to get out of that after 
this one and, and start pursuing something else. So tell me a little bit about that mentorship platform that you're looking to launch after these pageants. Yeah, absolutely. After I achieve um, or get as close as I can to achieving my pageantry goals, my long-term goals is to get the 501c3 status for my platform Voice for the Voiceless. I really am looking to mentor uh, kind of like the amazing mentorship I've gotten from you and Ali and all the other amazing mentors I have in my life and offer that same mentorship um, to young um, black and brown girls that are coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and might not have access to the knowledge um, to get to the next level. Because honestly, it's never the productivity or the fact that they are lacking inspiration or they're not wanting to do the work. It's more so they're lacking the connections and the blueprint on how to actually navigate those spaces. You said something to me yesterday in our meeting <laughs> that really stood out to me. And it was about getting funding and kind of the process of going about that. And I think as a young Black woman, something that you acknowledged was potentially when you're in certain scenarios, people giving you money because they're like, okay, now you're almost in a sense, okay, you're the you're the case study, you're the, the charity case. Like I'm going to give her money just because of the fact that like she's young and black and I want to say that I donated or gave money or invested in someone who is young and black, even though they might not actually care of the meaning behind it. Go a little bit deeper into that for me. Absolutely. I've gotten the honor to work with a variety of organizations and um, the organizations that really stood out to me that had the biggest impact on me were the ones that had placed black and brown women um, at the forefront of their mission statement and in their actual positions, like on their boards like YWA, we have an entire diversity and equity board um, that is completely centered around ensuring that we are in the most equitable way possible highlighting women of color and giving them equal opportunities. When I have been in other spaces with other organizations, I have received funding, scholarships, and opportunities, but a lot of it felt kind of like tokenism. Um, you're the right kinds of Black women, um, and a lot of times that typically means something else, but for me it meant, you know, you speak a certain way, you present a certain way, and because of that you're the right kind of Black, you're respectable, so we'll bring you into this space and we'll let you you know, kind of rub shoulders with the elites, but not because we care about you or what you're doing or your mission statement, but because we want to sleep well at night knowing I know a black person or I have a black friend that I donated money to. Um, and I think that that's kind of where the change has to start. I think it's really cool that you're so vocal about that. And I think a lot of people, and you said this yesterday as well, because of the way that some of these events have transpired, <laughs> which is for the best because now there's so much attention obviously to rep to what was so wrong in the past. But I think it's also now at this point made people feel so uncomfortable to talk to other people and ask questions. And I would love to know from you on if you are someone who struggles with talking about diversity or like how to properly talk to a black person, which is just the silliest thing because we should mm -hmm. all be viewed in a way that's making it unequal, right? To say that, yeah. how do I talk to you? There is no difference when how you talk to me than how you talk to you. So how would you say, and especially for if someone comes up to you at a pageant or feels really inspired by you, how do they overcome questioning whether or not they're saying the right thing? Yeah. So I actually think, um, that this generation is asking all of the right questions. I think the previous generation, the older millennials, um, the it was kind of like, we live in a post-feminist, post-racist society and everything is equal and everything is fine. And of course we look back and we're like, you guys were crazy. Like the nineties were not perfect for women or for LGBTQ or for people of color, especially black people. There was so much racial tension. It was just kind of, 
we, we looked past it. And um, I think a great, uh, a great way of navigating these conversations is understanding that we do have so far to go. I think um, I, I was telling you at the table yesterday that, you know, if you approach a lot of these issues with the mindset that you are not perfect, and these are not necessarily commentary on your character. Like racism is not a character flaw, it's systematic. You're born into it the same way I'm born into it. And you don't get to pick and choose which privileges you have and how you cash in on those privileges. It just kind of happens. And I think being aware of the biases that you have towards other people of color um, and how you develop those biases is a phenomenal way of starting. So when you do interact with a black woman and you are inspired by her, you can find those connections that make you both human beings instead of looking at it like, oh, well, I'm inspired, but I, I can't say this or that because she's black. And it's like, well, no, that, that makes the situation way more awkward and uncomfortable than just being yourself and, and approaching them as a human being, for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about your experience in the Navy, or was it the Army or the Navy? The Army. The Army. Okay, because you have a really inspiring story about what happened and how your assault in the Army led you to having this motivational platform and wanting to pursue pageants. So can you walk me back through kind of like what happened and how you were able to change that negative into a positive? Absolutely. Um, and of, of course, if, if you're looking for more details on this, I had a very detailed two hour podcast with uh, my great friends, Molly, but I, um, the overview of it essentially was, you know, I, I got into the military with these high hopes, these very high hopes, um, hoping that I was going to go in and I was going to do all this awesome stuff. And then I would retire and get out and then I'd go and pursue my education and do all this great stuff. But I got in and it was completely different and it, it didn't start off that way. Of course, it was difficult and it was tough. Um, it didn't start off that way. It really did um, evolve into something more. And I, I think as a young woman, especially at 18, I, I think I had this deluded, like delusional um, ideal of the world. Like I heard of misogyny and you hear of sexism and you know these things exist, but you just don't think they'll affect you. And you hear of rape culture and you have like kind of this understanding of rape culture on the macro scale, but on the micro scale on the day to day interactions, you didn't really think that that would happen to you until it does. And so after I was assaulted, I remember there was this huge push for um, me and the, the other survivor. They really kind of let us have it. <laughs> um, they put us against each other in terms of our stories. Um, she was, because she was non-Black, she was more believable and she was the better victim than I was um, because I had gotten in trouble or gotten yelled at, which it's, it's camp, everyone's getting yelled at, but because I had been yelled at, that's proof that she's a bad soldier and so therefore she couldn't have been assaulted. And um, the sexism, I think for me, for sure, it was way worse than anything, um, any assault, anything that I could have experienced because it was, it was really affecting, like it, I was getting, my mental health was being called into question whether I was mentally stable enough to make the type of accusations that I was making. Um, and I think that really affected me um, because it didn't place a stigma around mental health. Well, not, I don't wanna go to therapy because I don't want people to think I'm crazy because they're already saying I'm crazy. And if I go to therapy to deal with my PTSD or any of the symptoms I'm having, it's gonna give them more ammo and they're gonna be even meaner to me and I'm gonna get more isolated from my peers which is how I got 
placed in the situation I was placed in in the first place was being isolated and and you know having my reputation get questioned and yeah I just think overall it was really really a difficult time until I met Ali and when I met Ali um she was amazing she was so powerful she was not afraid to stand up for me um and she was so quick to call it out because I was terrified of saying, you know, I think this might be because I'm black, or I think this might be because I'm a woman. I was terrified of saying that. And Ali was like, oh, no, this is absolutely misogynoir. This is absolutely because you are a black woman. If you were not a black woman, you know, the other survivor, she's not receiving this. She's receiving empathy. The general himself is coming down and giving her all these accommodations. And you're not getting those. And that's because you're a black woman. And you're less believable than she is. And for those who don't know, Ali Curtis actually spoke at one of the summits. I can't remember. So some of you guys might remember her from, from that time ago when she spoke, which is so funny because we didn't even know initially that we had, yeah. that we both knew her, which goes to show you right there, the power of like mentorship and connecting. But I mean, you were really ultimately able to turn a negative experience into one that has now built you and will continue to build you into a remarkable businesswoman, but in, in that environment is the sexual assault. Is that something that like frequently happens? Is there oh, another yeah. conversation? Why? Yeah. I, I, it's literally thinking back to it. It's the perfect place for sexual assault and abuse to happen. Like, why wouldn't it happen? Um, you're in a situation where um, people who do not want to be there. So drill sergeants are not they don't volunteer or they rarely volunteer. Most drill sergeants are called on orders. They're forced to do it. And their entire career is built off of the success of them as a drill sergeant. So they're given orders, they're told, okay, so for the next two years, you're gonna be a drill sergeant. And they have to go through this extremely difficult, probably way more traumatizing than boot camp is for us. And they have to go through this really hard time and they're told like, if you fail, that's it. You get kicked out of the military. You lose all of the benefits you spent the past couple of years working for. You have to go into this scenario and you have to succeed. And more importantly, a big part of being a drill sergeant is hazing. That is a part of being of the job. You get hazed the first three or four weeks you're there. And we're also taught that drill sergeants have supreme control over us. They can tell us when to eat, um, how much we're allowed to eat. Um, there were plenty of times where we would sit down and they said, okay, you guys have 15 seconds to eat. If you didn't eat as much as you could in 15 seconds, you were just hungry and you just went to sleep hungry. You have no outside connection to the out world, outside world. You have no phone calls, nothing unless the drill sergeants give you permission. And, you know, this drill sergeant, um, and I don't know how frequently he did this, but he had a system. He knew, you know, this is how I can separate them. These are the people that I can assault. These are the people I can't. Like I'm, I'm gonna pick the the people who are isolated, um, who are maybe they're a bit weird or or people just don't talk to them. I didn't really have a lot of friends when I was going through boot camp, which most people don't. It's not a great place to make friends, and um, you know the the quiet ones and the ones that are kind of off to the side. Those are the ones that you pick, and. Um, since he had supreme control over me, if he tells me to come downstairs at 2 a.m. and he locks my battle buddy into, that's how he was doing, he would lock my battle buddy into a separate room and then pull me into a separate room and assault me, what was I to do? How I couldn't say no, I can't run away. Um, all of the resources on the entire base are completely dependent on this one person. And a lot of times, because of the way the justice system is set up in the military, look, well, not luckily, but luckily for me, because I was in boot camp, 
um, the justice system was taken through a completely separate chain of command. But when I got into the regular active service, your uh, abusers a lot of time are also your decision makers. They're your judge and your jury. And so it's really difficult for survivors to get, you know, justice in those environments. That's insane. So the other girl that you're mentioning, were you guys staying in touch now? How has that relationship blossomed or not? Yeah. So she and I have, we have not spoken in about a year. Um, She was very, because unbeknownst to both of us, I had demanded to be moved um, after I had gotten assaulted like the second time. I was like, I have to leave. Like I'm in danger. Um, I really played up at the time they were concerned about my mental health. And I was like, yeah, I'm crazy. You have to move me. I'm insane. I'm hearing voices move me. Um, And I refused to tell them why I wanted to leave. So I figured I would leave and he would leave me alone because he had threatened to hurt me. He threatened to kill me if I told anyone. So I was like, okay, I'm just not going to say anything. I'll move, move on with my life. Right. So I moved to this other company within the same battalion. And then one night she gets brought over. And when she gets brought over, I saw the drill sergeant she was walking with, and she was walking with the senior drill sergeant that was over the SHARP program, which is a sexual harassment assault response program in the military. And so I was like, okay, that's the drill sergeant that handles sexual assault cases. Hmm. And when I saw her, I pulled her to the side and she was always very sweet to me. So I, I, I never got to really know her. She never really got to know me, but she was nice to me. And um, a lot of the girls were very mean to me. So I, I always remember her being sweet. And um, I remember, you know, getting in touch with her and talking to her and crying and letting her know, like, I lied. Like, I said I was crazy and that's why I wanted to be moved, but that's not why I got moved. This is what happened. And as I started explaining it, I look at her body language and I notice, like, oh, my God, like, she's really having a, a, a reaction to this. I, I wonder if it's just because it's, you know, a fault of just traumatizing to hear about. Um, I, but she's not reacting. She's reacting in a certain way. And she's like, we have to go tell right now. And I was like, well, why? Like, I don't want to tell. I don't want to get hurt. She's like, no, he got moved off of the base. And I was like, why? Did someone find out? And she's like, well, no, because he assaulted me too. And, um, you know, we, we cried and we had our moment together. And, and she was there holding my hand throughout the process. And unfortunately, throughout that process, we legally had to keep our distance and not talk. But I did have a really heartfelt moment with her after the, um, the trial and everything. And I, I really talked to her and I said, you know, thank you because you like saved my life and you, you brought a lot of validity to my story because no one believed me, but you believed me when I first told you. Wow. That is quite something right there. So walking away from that experience, how were you able to take what happened and, and turn it into what you did now with what you're pursuing? What (laughs) did you say to yourself along the way to keep yourself so grounded? Yeah. So I think for a very long time, up until maybe a year ago, I was very numb. I thought I was over it. I thought it didn't matter anymore because he was serving his time in jail and whether people believed me or not was irrelevant. And I would just, you know, use it as ammunition for pageantry. And, you know, I, I woke up one day and I was crying and I was like crying and crying. I couldn't stop myself from crying. I was having a panic attack. Um, and I realized actually I am still very affected by this. And I talked to my therapist about it and she really kind of, 
really helped me deconstruct a lot of the feelings I was having around it. Because a lot of times when you're very strong, you numb yourself, you, you put all of the trauma you experience in the backseat, and you just keep driving and driving, but sometimes you can't run away from it. And you have to actually approach it. And, and you have to accept, you know, this happened to me. And this is how it's affecting me. And I need to deal with that. So I, I, I really dealt with that by going back out into my community and speaking to other people and just letting them know, you know what, I hear you. And I got so passionate about it while I was going through my pageant experience. I made it my entire platform because my platform before was like girl power and world peace and veganism. And now I'm like, no, I'm none of that things. I, all that's great. I'm really passionate about standing up for people who feel like they have no one there for them. People who are being bullied, people who are being silenced. Like, you know, I got an opportunity to work with LifeWorks and they deal with youth homelessness. And I've worked with other organizations that deal with, you know, youth or even young adults dealing with um, drug addiction. And even though I've never had those issues, it's like, I still feel like there's stigmas there. And I still feel like people bully people because they might have um, a drug addiction or a dependency. And it's like, you know, let's have those conversations and let's give them space to tell their truth and their story without judgment, free of, of any kind of stigma or anything. And that's really how I've taken just my trauma and, and turned it into something positive. Yeah. And that's always something that I say too, is you have to rewrite your story, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of people live by what happened to them and something that might've been really traumatic. And you really have to get yourself to a point where you're comfortable changing the narrative so that you really can move on. And I think that's a really healing therapeutic way to do it. So what about like mentorship? I mean, along what, when we met, it was kind of like a mentorship based talk that I feel like I was in a sense presenting, but how have you found mentors and how do you encourage people and through what you're trying to build to find mentors? Yeah. So I remembered um, when I approached you, um, I've gone to almost every single speaker series you've had since I've signed up. And every single time at the end, I always walk up to them. and I always hope like maybe I can get a business card and maybe I can volunteer. or Maybe if there's like a work opportunity or something, they'll talk to me. Um, but when I, I walked up to you and you, I heard your story, I was like, oh, no, I am <laughs> going to like, I'm going to pitch myself like I've never pitched myself to this girl. And you were just like, right, even get to because you're like, hey, you want to like meet up or like, you know, like hang out at Soho House together and just have a conversation and I'll see what I can do for you. And it was so amazing. So I, I think that was kind of my first real experience where it really stuck. But all my other mentor relationships were just so natural. Like Ali and I were just two vegans in um, boot camps starving. Like they had no vegan food. So we would just eat peanut butter. <laughs> and we were like surviving off of peanut butter and crackers and in between starving and begging our drill sergeants for more peanut butter. Uh, we just started talking and she started talking about pageantry and um, she checks up on me all the time. And I think another huge mentor for me is definitely um, my PR agent, Ardell. She's so, she's so amazing. And she's so talented and she's achieved so much. And um, she really just kind of, she tells it how it is. She's not, she's not the nicest person, but she tells it how it is. She'll tell me like, no, that's stupid. Do this because this works. Or she'll, you know, she really upsells me and, and she'll really get me into the right doors and the right corners. So I think um, it's a mixture of natural uh, relationships and seeing the people in your life and what they have and how that might be in alignment with what you have or yeah. what you want to do. And then going up there and, and making that introduction, asking for that business card, pitching yourself. 
you're such a boss with that. I love when you like came up to me and you were raising your hands. And I mean, I can see for other people who are in the audience that that would be intimidating that you are so forward and so persistent, but it is the way to be. And that really is how you get someone's attention. You don't get someone's attention by not going up to them or walking away regretful that you didn't. I, it's the, what's the quote? You miss all of the opportunities you don't take or yeah. whatever that, that quote is. And, and you, you showed that there uh, so properly. So if someone's listening to this and wants to get a mentor like tomorrow, where would you suggest that they, they seek one out if they haven't had as many experiences as you have? I would, I would immediately start. So like, once you figure out what your thing is, like my thing is like, I really want to get in the nonprofit sector. I really like public speaking and public engagements. Um, if you're a part of any organizations or any groups, I would start there. YWA, I go on there all the time and I message the girls and I look through their LinkedIn and I see, okay, who, what is this person doing? Okay. This person works at Meta. They work for Facebook. Great. I'm going to go see if they have an internship there. Like I'm, I'm just going to take a wild shot and ask them if they can walk my cover letter to somebody there and see if there's an internship for me and build that relationship. I'm personally a huge fan of like buying someone coffee. I feel like if you like butter someone up with caffeine, they're more likely to like, you know, help you out. Um, so then maybe having that. Um, and if none of those things are options, I know right now everything can be kind of difficult with COVID and everything. Just, um, I, I would love to take your advice, <laughs> steal it for a second. Just go and make, just make that initial pitch via email mm-hmm. and always add a photo. Alexa taught me that. Always <laughs> add a photo. <laughs> I did. I did say that yesterday. And I remember, uh, mm-hmm. I remember it was one of my mentors, Dana Brownlee, who is a contributor at Forbes and pretty high up at Forbes. And she's the one who told me that. And sometimes people tell you something and you're like, oh, okay, you don't have to listen to everything that everyone says to you. But there are times where I found there's like one piece of advice that I've gotten. And I'm like, okay, this is a concrete, solid thing to rely on. And Mm -hmm. so I would, I would also urge people to look at their mentors for that kind of advice. You don't have to take everything they say in the most serious way, but you can look at it as, okay, take whatever you think that really can apply to you and actually apply it. And the mentor wants to see that. And the mentee then equally is getting a good response from that. So you obviously are so cool and doing such big things. So what is your end goal? Like, where would you like to see yourself in five or 10 years? In five years, Miss USA or Miss Universe. Um, 10 years, I'm thinking I'll probably have my MBA by then. Um, Hopefully I would have started um, psychiatry. I want to go back to school when I finish off my business degree. And um, psychology is just a passion of mine that I've always had. So I think I'll go back and do that and potentially get into psychiatry. Um, I'm hoping that my nonprofit would have helped maybe 10 years, maybe at least two dozen women go to college. I think that's a healthy goal, like help two dozen girls go to college. And um, yeah, and I hope that at least one person, maybe two, (laughs) hit me up and say, hey, like, would you mentor me? And maybe I can do for them what you and Ali and all my other mentors have done for me. So I, I think those are my goals for right now. I really appreciate that you're so genuine and you come at it from such an authentic way and you also value being able to give back. And and I would think that anyone who also is mentoring or wanting to get mentored, that is the part of it. It's not supposed to be a one-sided street. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be like a circle that kind of just keeps evolving. So I am so glad that you were in the front and raising your hand and that everyone who listened to this episode is hopefully inspired as well to get up and raise their hand and ask questions and really 
rewrite their story and take any negative and turn it into a positive. So thank you for that. Where can everyone find you on social media or get to know you a little bit more? Absolutely. I think the social media I keep updated the most is my Instagram. So that's at Naja C Texas um, on Instagram. And yeah, like that's the best place to follow me. I keep it updated. And uh, thank you so much for having me, truly. Well, thank you so much for coming to that talk and being such a badass. I am so inspired by you and can't wait to continue to see how you evolve. And for everyone who has listened to this episode, make sure to follow me on social media at Alexa underscore Curtis, as well as the podcast social media at the new unfiltered. And if you have a guest that you think would be a good interview, or perhaps you want to write a review, you can do that on the podcast app, as well as send a DM or an email. If you follow me, you know that I prefer email, not DM, uh, to some type of guest submission, but always happy to look over those too and have a great rest of your week. Bye guys.